Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. Lamentation 3, verse number 19. Listen as I read. Remembering mine affliction and my misery, the wormwood and gall, my soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. This I recall to mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is, a good, it is good that a man both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. Our Father, today we are grateful for the fact that you are good. It's not just something that we read in your word that is absolutely true. Lord, it is something we've experienced. Uh, You have shown and proven your your goodness in our lives. Today we have breath. Lord, you you have given us life today. And we are grateful for it. And we're grateful for your goodness in that way. Now, Lord... This is a passage that you put in your, in your word. You inspired it. You wanted us to be able to read it in 2024. And Lord, it's, it's a little bit difficult for us to come to, to passages that focus on mourning and weeping and uh, being uneasy about sin. But Lord, you even in the midst of that, show us hope. And I pray that you would develop that hope in us as we would look to you, just as you wanted to develop that in your people through the prophet Jeremiah. So Lord, help us today. I pray that you administer to our hearts and feed us with heavenly manna, that you would give us what we need for this week so that we might please you and serve you. We ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen, amen. I want you to go back to chapter number one and verse number one. I want you to notice something here this morning that's uh, uh, interesting as the book of Lamentations opens up. Notice the words here in verse number one. How doth the city sit solitary that was full of people? How is she become as a widow? She that was great among the nations and princess on um, princess among the provinces. How is she become tributary? She weepeth sore in the night and her tears are on her cheek. Among all her lovers, she hath none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They are become her enemies. Judah is gone into captivity because of affliction and because of great servitude. She dwelleth among the heathen. She findeth no rest. All her persecutors overtook her between the straits. And it goes on in this lament, just describing the city of Jerusalem the the nation of judah as a people as god had brought them because of their sin into captivity and into the land of babylon it's interesting as we look at our culture today all around us there's a there's an uneasiness anytime that god's truth confronts our sin in fact uh, kind of in the mindset of our culture is anything that makes me unhappy is bad for me it's it's not for my good if you made me unhappy if you spoke the truth and it made me uneasy that is bad thing you've offended me and that's a bad thing that's something that is bred into our culture today though i don't believe that it's really just in our culture i believe this was even in jeremiah's day they wanted to hear the prophet speak of peace peace when there was no peace in fact god said that his prophets the prophets those that were called the prophets 
uh, had done wrong towards the people because they preached messages of peace when there was no peace between them and God. There was problems and they were not exposing it. It reminds me of, of the church at large in America today that just continues to, to party and have this, this upbeat spirit when there's so much sin in our churches today. And yet, in Jeremiah's time, he writes this when they were already in captivity, when uh, Jerusalem was barren, uh, it was depopulated, the people had been taken over into Babylon, and they were in the midst of captivity because of their sin. And Jeremiah writes this book of lament, lamenting to God, weeping before God for what had happened to his people because of their sin. Now you think, they're in the midst of this captivity. How could anything good come out of this? How could there be any hope that would come out of this? Well, I ask you, is there any hope in the midst of when God is chastening you for a decision that you made contrary to his word? Is there any hope to be had? Is there any light at the end of the tunnel? And the message today, really my goal and my prayer is that the Lord would help us to see that there is indeed hope if we would do as Jeremiah did and that is to seek the Lord in the midst of the chasing to turn our eyes off of what we have done and to deal with it, yes, to acknowledge it, yes, but to look to the Lord and to seek his face once again. Uh, Israel had gotten to a point of hopelessness throughout this book. We read that they, they were in such great despair. It reminds me of what our passage, Psalm, 42 and, uh, Psalm 43, when David would speak about being bowed down. The same idea was among the people of Israel. They were bowed down under the weight of God's chastisement. Chastisement simply means discipline. When God brings unpleasant circumstances into our lives to correct our way. And our God is good to do that. How many of you would say, I've been chastened by the Lord before? I have. You know, I can think back into my, uh, my lifetimes. I, 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 I wonder why I was so stubborn against the conviction and the chastening of the Lord. And I, I, would, I would bear down under it. I would dig in my heels. I wouldn't listen to the, to the preaching. I wouldn't listen to the, the spiritual uh, leads over me. And I would just kind of bear under it. Well, I'll just kind of, uh, I'll grit my way through it. It'll get better. Time heals all things. Except when the Holy Spirit's trying to um, get your attention. And then it, it creeps up to you when you lay your, your head on the pillow at night, when you go to serve the Lord. In fact, I was reading in Psalm 32 this morning, and I realized that David said when he was struggling under his sin that his bones waxed old. They started to groan. It literally has a physical effect on our bodies. And so here we are in the midst of this chastening. They're 500 miles away from their homeland. They don't even have a hope of going back. They're in captivity. They're in servitude. They are under tribute. They're having to pay the king of, of, of Babylon. And, and all this has happened because they had sinned against the Lord. And so I want us to notice this, that, that there was a chastening hand of God upon them. As we see this in verse number 19, notice the words affliction. Remembering mine affliction, this is written from the life of, of Jeremiah, from the perspective of Jeremiah, who was a man who had a heart towards the Lord, but he was sent as a prophet, as a preacher, a declarer of the truth to God's people, and he was wound up in the midst of this. Sometimes, even the godly will feel the judgment of God or the chastening of God upon a nation. By the way, can I encourage you, just remember, even in the midst of facing the judgment of God upon our nation and feeling some of that in this day, we can still have hope in our God and we still should act like Jeremiah and uh, direct our prayers to God. Yes. And uh, not get despondent or to get angry at those that are around us, continue to try to win them as we have even been challenged this morning. But there was a chastening hand of God. God was disciplining them. God was bringing them to the woodshed. For a long time. How many remember, you know, growing up, I know it's not, not a thing as much anymore today, but how many remember maybe going to the woodshed or getting, getting it with a, with a stick or getting it with a belt? You don't have to, um, to raise your hand to that, but we remember back to those days. You know what? Culture was a little bit better for some of that. I mean, there, when there was a consequence of sin when you were five. And it, but God was bringing them to the woodshed. God was dealing, disciplining his people. 
And Jeremiah says we were an afflicted people in verse number 19. And literally this word carries the idea of being brought into captivity. Yes, I'm being brought into a, a, a time of great suffering and distress, but in captivity. In chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, I am a man that has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. By the rod of his wrath. Does God get angry at sin? Yes, he does. Does he love you? Yes, he does. But God is a loving father, will deal with his children. He will bring chastisement into, into our lives. And friends, don't, don't grimace under the chastisement. Don't bristle under the chastisement. Don't get hard under the chastisement. Realize God is doing that because he loves us and he wants us to, to turn back to him. I'm moved as we go through the prophets, the major and minor prophets, how that God constantly is saying, I'm doing this so that you know that I am the Lord. I am your master. That you'll turn back to me. Psalm 119 and verse 75 tells us that God is faithful. And one of the ways that he shows his faithfulness is by bringing chastisement. Listen, I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right. Do you know that this morning? Do you know that his word is right I'm not always right, but his word is always right. Thy judgments are right. And thou, that thou in faithfulness hast afflicted me. In faithfulness. Now, sometimes we would like to think about faithfulness showing up as a blessing, as a monetary blessing or a physical blessing, something we can touch, we can smell, we can, uh, we can feel. But sometimes the faithfulness of the Lord shows up that he doesn't let you get away with sin. And our God is good about that. A good father, by the way, doesn't let their children get away with sin. We are to raise them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Do you know that takes a lot of work and consistency and help of the Holy Spirit? A lot of work. Because, well, what does the Bible say? Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Doesn't it say that? It is there, and it takes work to deal with that. Our Father shows us that he is faithful in afflicting us, bringing pain or suffering into our lives in order to cause us to seek him again. So what was the, what was the pain? What was the affliction? It was captivity. The captivity happened. We're very familiar with the book of Daniel, right, church? And we learned how that Daniel was a part of that captivity. He was brought over into the land of uh, of Babylon. He was one of the, the first to go over. And so there were three different shifts, if you will, or segments of this captivity uh, happening. First of all, in 605 BC under Jehoiakim, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, they were taken prisoner over into the land along with many of the children of the princes. They, they, um, Nebuchadnezzar robbed the land of the, the, the best of the best. He took the children of the princes and he brought them over. He took the, the, the next generation of leaders and he took them into Babylon. Number two, uh, 597 BC, uh, we find that uh, King Jehoiakim, uh, he, uh, it was under his rule, the temple was looted, Ezekiel the prophet was taken prisoner, and then third, 586 BC, under King Zedekiah, uh, 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 ruling over Judah there, the, uh, the, the nation was destroyed, the, the, uh, the city of Jerusalem was destroyed. And that was a very difficult time. And there was a large captivity that was brought, brought over to Babylon. And so God said, hey, if you sin against me, I promise you I'm going to bring you into captivity. He prophesied it in 2 Chronicles. He had told them, you continue to do what you're doing, I'm going to bring you into captivity. He even said how long. That's amazing. Sometimes God warns us and says, if you don't stop, here's what I'm going to bring into your life. And you know what? When God says that, he's going to do it. He's going to do it. Have you found him to be true in that way? I have. He's going to do it. And we, what does the Bible say? In, in Galatians, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Right? Mm. So the reasons for the captivity are many. But we could boil down some here. There was a lack of knowledge of God's word. They were not listening to God. There was part of that problem was that the priests... And the prophets had been taken up in their own sin, and they had not been honorable before God. I think we see a lot of that going on in our day today. We, we see those that are supposed to be leading spiritually 
They're not leading spiritually. They're not living like Paul told Timothy, uh, be an example of the believers in word and conversation, and charity and spirit. But they're, 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 they're not dealing with their own sin. They're not taking sin seriously. And that was the prophets and priests of that day. And so there was a lack of knowledge. There wasn't a uh, declaration, this is right and this is wrong. Let's follow the Lord. There wasn't that declaration going on. There was a lack of knowledge. They were killing the just. In other words, they were were executing, they they were persecuting those that were righteous. Well, that's a sad day when that's happening. When those that are righteous are the ones that get um, criticized and get put down and get torn apart and get killed. And that was happening, uh, Lamentations 4 and verse number 13. There was the worship of Baal and other idols. This was a, a worship of sexuality and this was a, a worship of, of, of uh, the, the rain god and, and the gods of the, the Canaanites. This was a worship of idolatry and there was also connected with this worship uh, child sacrifice we know and that day which would have been called Moloch. The worshiping or giving their ch- on children to Moloch. Literally allowing their children to be burned alive. So sad. Child sacrifice, abortion is nothing new. It happened in that day, and it was happening inside of the walls of God's people. That's very, very sad. Listen, we should not become callous to the sin that is in our, in our nation today. I know some believers, that get very, very ruffled when we talk about abortion. And if you've had an abortion, do you know what? God forgives you, and he restores, and he can remove that guilt because it's under the blood, praise the Lord but he wants you to turn around and use that story to help somebody else, but not to live in the shadows, in the darkness of what, what has happened in your past. But I know some believers that get so ruffled about that. Friends, we cannot become callous to what is the sin of Moloch in our day. And it was going on in Jerusalem, and there was no one standing up and saying, hey, hey, this is wrong. We can't be involved in this. This is wrong. And God led them into captivity because of this. One of the other things in 2 Chronicles 36, 21, they violated the Sabbath. They were not giving the Lord his day. They were not giving God one day in seven. God had told them at the beginning, he had set that pattern down in Genesis, that one day in seven belongs to God. Now in the New Testament church, one day in seven, that's Sunday for us. We call it, as John did in the book of Revelation, what is it called? I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. The Lord's Day, it belongs to him. Do you know that this day doesn't belong to me? It doesn't belong to Grace Baptist Church. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the Lord. Have you asked him what he wants you to do with with your Sundays? Well, this is the day I catch up. Well, hold on. It was so important to God that they followed this principle that was given in Scripture that one of the reasons he brought them into captivity is they stopped honoring the Sabbath day. They stopped honoring it. This is the Lord's Day. What will we do with it? And so there, was, there were many different sins that led them into this captivity, but this is one thing that we can learn, that sin always brings us into captivity. It always brings us into bondage. Now, Satan won't tell you that, but it always brings us into bondage. There's a good quote that someone said, and I don't know who it's original with, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. True? Yes, every single time. And we need to be sensitive to this. Sometimes some of those consequences are lifelong. You can't erase it, though it's forgiven. Praise the Lord uh, when we go to him and ask him for that forgiveness, though it's under the blood, some of the consequences, some of the marks, or some of the scars we live with lifelong. Perhaps you think about some of the things that are in your past and you say, I, I can't get rid of the mark of it. I praise God that it's forgiven, but I still deal with the consequence of it. Friends, that's why we need to take sin seriously. That's why we can't be light about sin. It does cause consequences. And for them, it was captivity in a foreign land. They were an afflicted people, but they were also a humbled people. A humbled people. Now, Humility, in this sense, is not perhaps the the normal uh, definition of humility. It it, it has the idea to be melting away, to be melting away, despondent, brought down. And the idea is that this just lasted, this, this was a condition that they were in. So they were humbled before God. They were bowed down before God. I'm not sure if this is a great illustration, but have you ever gotten your dog in trouble? And it puts its tail in between its legs and kind of 
uh, cowers down. You know what I'm talking about? Can you at least see that image with me? Right? Perhaps a good, good picture of what this is. They were brought down before the Lord. They were humbled before the Lord. It's a serious thing when God humbles us. It's a serious thing that when we persist so long in our pride that God is forced to humble us. When God is moved to humble us, and certainly he says, we, when we, we are still in remembrance of all this affliction, all this captivity, all this chastening, and I am humbled in me. I'm humbled, I'm brought down. Lamentations is a book of five poems uh, expressing lament. And uh, you see there a little bit of the, 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 the scope of the book. But it was expressing lament for how the city was destroyed and how God had punished them. And, and Jeremiah himself is expressing lament. And the, he's expressing lament about the Lord's anger and, and even how the remnant, those that wanted to seek after God, how they expressed lament back to God as we wrap up the book. So it's a book given to mourning for our sin. That is something we don't do very much of. We want to get a pat on the back, want to ask for forgiveness, and run on. We get very uneasy when we have to sit and think about the fact that it's sinned against my heavenly Father. And friends, if we want to know closeness with the Lord, we have to know how to deal with our sin. And I have asked the Lord sometimes when, when something just is, is sitting in my heart and I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with it, I'm lamenting over it, and I ask the Lord, why don't, why don't you let me go on this? I... I I've asked you for your forgiveness. I, Lord, I, I've sought to be right with you. Sometimes I'm reminded by the Lord, he says, it's good for you to be right here. It's good for you to be right here and remember the price of sin. Remember how it grieves me and to take it seriously. And we don't like to be there. The American church does not like to be there. We want it to be all glitz, glamour, lights, and, uh, and loud sounds. It's always, it's always a high time in the American church. Friends, there's times where the, we, as God's people, need to lament over our sin. Here's Jeremiah. He's expressing, he's expressing the, the mourning over sin and over what, what their sin had caused. Lament, uh, Lamentations 3 and verse 17. Thou hast removed my soul from far off from peace. I forgot prosperity. I said my strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. Do you catch that? You've removed my soul far off from peace. There's turbulence in my heart. There's a struggle going on in my heart. Things aren't right. I'm, I'm, a, at, I'm without, uh, without any ease. I want you to turn over to Psalm 137. Here is a passage of scripture that, that speaks to the children of Israel being in captivity and the heathen there saying, hey, we want to hear some of your cultural songs. We want to hear some of your religious songs. Why don't you go ahead and sing for us? We want to hear what your music sounds like. And so it seems like a, 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 a pretty good invitation. But to them it was not. It was very difficult. Psalm 137 and verse number 3. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. What were they doing as they were being asked a little later on in the psalm? They were being asked for this song. He said, we sat there and we just wept. We wept. It reminded us of what we used to have back in Jerusalem. There's times when we realize where I am right now under the chasing of God, boy, I used to have it much better. I used to walk in the fullness of fellowship. Can you imagine you imagine when the sin of Adam and Eve fully set into them? We used to walk with God in the cool of the, the day. We used to be in that garden. And friends, Israel was humbled. They were brought low because of their sin. God has the ability to bring us low. God has the ability to humble us. And it is wise for us to say, Lord, would you help me? Help me to always respond to your Holy Spirit. Help me always respond to your conviction so that I don't have to go through captivity. I don't have to get addicted. I don't have to be brought into bondage um, for, for years of my life to that sin, become a slave to sin. Jesus saved us, Romans chapter 6 says, so that we don't have to be slaves to sin anymore. He's freed us so we can walk in liberty 
and we can please him. Satan always advertises the glamorous, exciting part of sin. And does sin have a glamorous, exciting part? Yes or no? Yes, it sure does. Moses talked about that. He, he, he chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. There are pleasures of sin for a season. For a season. You don't know how long that season might be. It might be one day. It might be a couple of hours. It might be for a year. But there is a day where that pleasure will absolutely end and there will be consequences. And you know what? Satan never shows that side in his advertisements. He never shows the man who wakes up not knowing where he, where he was the night before. He only shows the commercial with the high life and someone just drinking it up. He never shows what weed does. He never shows that part. He just shows, oh, you're going to feel so good. Going to feel so good. He never shows uh, uh, what what that illicit relationship will do. He never shows that side. He always shows the glitzy, glamorous side of it. Oh, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. And that's how clever Satan is. Uh, Satan is a masterful advertiser, masterful, and he advertises sin very well. But sin advertised by Satan never, never is true. It is never true. Now. Someone I want to note here, God, God brings us to this place of humility. And you'd say, well, is it a good thing for me to be struggling in that, that lament, in that sorrow? The Bible says, and I'd like for you to turn there, 2 Corinthians chapter number 7, verse number 9. Paul speaks to the Corinthians, who, by the way, had a lot of sin that they needed to deal with as new believers. And they didn't always deal with it well, did they? Sometimes they turn their, their, their face, turn their eyes the other way, and like, well, we know that's going on, but we're not going to deal with it. And, uh, and Paul says, no, this is wrong. You got this going on in the church, this is wrong. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, in verse number 9, he says this. He goes, 2 Corinthians 7, verse 9, Now I rejoice, not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. What's repentance? Biblical repentance is not turning over a new leaf. Biblical re uh, repentance is turning to God. It is, it, is, it is realizing my sin is wrong and I'm turning to him. I'm seeking him. So it's not the, 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 uh, the works concept of just, I'm going to do better tomorrow. No, that's not repentance. Repentance is turning to God. God's the only one that can liberate us. He's the only one that can give us salvation. He's the only one that can work sanctification in our lives. So Paul's saying, listen, I'm glad that you sorrowed to repentance, to turning to God. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive, uh, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance. It turns one to God. It doesn't turn one inward. But it turns one to God, to salvation, not to be repented of, not to be turned away from. But the sorrow of this world worketh death. Now let me just say something here. Sometimes in the midst of being chastened by God for our sin, what Satan would love to absolutely do is get you all focused on yourself, over your problems, and over, over what you've done, and bring you in a downward spiral and keep you there. Just remember that worldly sorrow or sorrow that's brought on by Satan will always bring about death or separation. It'll pull you further away from God. It'll get you introspective. It'll not cause you to look back to him. But godly sorrow always brings you back to God. Do we see that? Now let's move on. Sor uh, this, um, verse number 11. For behold, this selfsame thing, that you sorrowed after a godly sort, now, this is what happened in your life. You, you, you sinned, you're getting it right with God, and now the, the result of this godly sorrow is this. What carefulness it wrought in you. Ooh, I'm going to be more careful next time. I'm going to walk circumspectly. I'm not going to get that close. I'm not going to go down that road. I'm not going to go out with that person. I'm not going to go there on the internet. What carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourself. Oh, isn't it good to be cleared? Isn't it good to be cleared by God when you have a confidence in your relationship between you and God? I am right with God. There is no pillow as soft as a clear conscience. Right? 
when there's nothing between my soul and the Savior. So what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what, what's he talking about there? Where it's now, it's turning, I am angry by the thought of that sin. That I despise that sin. I don't want to go back to that sin. I want to, bring, I want to bring indignation or anger upon it. What fear? Well, should not we walk in the fear of the Lord? Ooh, I need to be sober. I should not be half-hearted or cavalier about this. Yea, what vehement desire. I want to do what is right. I want, to, I want to see God. I want to know God. Yea, what zeal. Yea, what revenge. The full circle when we are getting right with God is that we ultimately want to bring revenge back on what, what brought us to that place in the, in the first place. It's not on a person. What it is is I want, I want to begin to help out other people to not go into the same things that I did. I want to bring revenge back on Satan's plan. I want to thwart Satan's plans. And friends, when you get freed from a sin, what I just mentioned about abortion before, uh, a moment ago, the mature perspective is God did not allow you to go through that. He did not save you and forgive you from that just to keep that all to yourselves. He wants you to help somebody else not to do the same thing. And Satan not to get the victory in somebody else's life. Immaturity, casual Christianity says just keep that Keep that in. Or sometimes air your dirty laundry. No, what we must do is we must seek to thwart the plans of Satan in other people's lives with the help of God. What vehement desire, what revenge. And so there's a, there's a clear picture of what happens when we are getting right with God, when chastening is doing its work, when humbling is doing its work in our lives. And don't you want God to bring you full circle? Don't you want God to bring you to a place of spiritual health where you can help others be freed from sin? where you can help others be freed from that addiction, and God wants to help you in that way. So he had brought them to humility. What did this, this, this chastening and the thought of chastening cause Jeremiah to think about? I want you to notice in verse number 21, this I recall to mind, therefore have I hope. Well, that's kind of strange when you're talking about affliction. How do you have hope in the midst of affliction? When you recall what to mind do you have hope, Jeremiah? And I want us to realize that Jeremiah began to contemplate the character of God. He began to contemplate, think on it, meditate upon it, the, the character, the very character of God. Now, Satan wants you to focus on your failures. God wants you to focus on your heavenly Father. There's a big difference. Perhaps you've sinned against the Lord and you're really struggling with it. Satan would love to keep you just zeroed in on the fact that you failed and get you despondent about that. But would you just look to your father today? Would you look to him who wants to bring you close? He's the one that promised, you draw nigh to me and I'll draw nigh to you. Isn't that good? Aren't you thankful that we have a God that's like that? I mean, he is just ready. He is like the father of the prodigal son who's waiting and looking over the road, waiting for his child to come home. He's just waiting for you to take that first step back to him, and he will embrace you. Satan wants you to focus on your failures. God is not asking you to focus on your failures. He's saying, I want you to look to me, and that's what Jeremiah did. And thinking on who God was was what gave Jeremiah hope. And this I have hope. Well, let's move on. Notice how he contemplated God's mercy in verse number 22. It is of the Lord's mercies. Mercies. Not mercy. Mercies. Manifold mercies that we are not consumed. I think that verse is pretty explainable on its own. The fact is that the reason that you and I are still existing today and not in hell is a testament to God's mercy. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not. God could have consumed you long ago, and he could have consumed me long ago. And friends, sometimes we paint God as this vengeful God that's just waiting to, to send down lightning bolts to, to just you know, to, to, uh, take you out the moment that you sin. No, that's not our God. Our God is full of mercy. There is an end. There is, an, there is a, a point where he calls us to account, but our God is full of mercy. And the very fact that you and I are breathing and living today is a testament to his mercy. Praise his name. Praise his name. I'm thankful for the mercy of God. And, and, and here we have Jeremiah saying, boy, the reason I have hope, it's of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. I want you to pause and think about something. 
If you do a study in Scripture about the words sin, iniquity, wickedness, there's a lot of mentions of that. But it next to guarantee you that you're going to find the word Lord, Yahweh, the ever-present one, the self-existent one, to be described or mentioned more in Scripture than even the mention of sin. And why that, that's important to me today is we get so fixated on sin and we need to deal with sin. But what brings us out of that, what gives us freedom is getting our eyes on him. Do you remember what, what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse number 18? He says that when we look into, into the word of God and we, we read it, we are changed from glory to glory even as by the spirit of God is when I look at Jesus and when I begin to contemplate him that he begins to change me. And so here we have, in the, uh, in, throughout the Bible, we have the, the mention of the word Lord some 6,800 times. 6,800 times God is revealed. I am the self-existent one. I am the one that revealed myself to, to, to Moses at the burning bush as the I am, the ever-present one, the one who alone is master. Friends, get your eyes on him. And remember that this Lord that, that is told to us all these times is the one whose mercies, plural, never fail. Never fail. This word mercy is the idea of loyal love. We hear a lot about temporary love in our world today, don't we? Well, I just don't love them anymore. They did this, and so I can't love them. That's not our Lord. Mercies is his loyal love his unconditional love, that love that was demonstrated for us at Calvary. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. His loyal love. Do you know that he has that loyal love for you? No, not me. You don't know what I've done, preacher. Listen, he has that love for you. Now, we can spurn that love. We can reject it. We can push it off. We cannot respond to it. And that's our problem. But the fact is, he doesn't stop showing his loyal, his loyal love. The grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men. All men. And that's his love for us. That's an amazing thing. We find that mentioned some 206 times in Scripture. And he says, it is this mercy that keeps us from being consumed by a God who is so holy that sin cannot stand be, uh, be in his presence. And he says, it's this mercy it's this mercy that is the reason for you still standing today. And he goes on and he says, his compassions, they fail not. His deep awareness of our situation, it fails not. God knows intimately what you're going through. He knows your struggles. He knows, he knows what, what decisions you made that led you to the point that you are. He knows about it. Psalm 103 tells us he, as a father, pity of his children. He knows our frame. Uh, Hebrews 4 in verse number 13 says that, that we're naked and open to him with whom we have to do. He, he sees it all. Uh, verse 15 a little bit later says, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched, touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He lived our life. He walked through that. And the Bible says his compassions, his deep awareness of who you are, what you face, what you're going through, the temptations you face, he is deeply aware of them. Aren't you thankful that you serve a God like that? You say, this past week, boy, I just really got beat up by the, by the devil. I really felt like there was a fight. How many of you say, in the past week, I, I felt like I was really uh, struggling, just uh, fighting a spiritual battle, Right? Do you know that God knows about that spiritual battle that you faced? He knows it. He knows all about it. He's seen it. Let me ask you, and don't raise your hand on this, but how many in the midst of that spiritual battle stopped and said, Lord, I need you? Now, sometimes we get in the middle of a spiritual battle and we don't ever talk to the Lord like Ephesians 6.18 tells us. Praying always with all prayer and supplication. Praying always. Oh, how we need to do that. But he, he knows us. And so Jeremiah is just thinking about the faithfulness and the goodness of God. That song we sing is just is such a wonderful hymn of the faith. Great is thy faithfulness. They're new every morning. They're fresh every morning. They're fresh. It's amazing. Think about spring coming up. I 
have our daffodils starting to poke up if they don't get frozen into oblivion in one of these, uh, in one of these weather shifts. But, you know, we're going to have some tulips popping up. It's so beautiful. When they come out, there's a freshness to that. It's a beauty to that. Even the air in the spring, there's a freshness to it. I walked out, and there's, you know, it's just hovering right around 45 degrees, and there's a little fog in there, and it's like, Lord, this is, this is a nice day. I mean, this is just great. It's fresh. But boy, the mercy of God, oh, how fresh it is every single morning. The faithfulness of God, it's just renewed. It's like a, a new batch every single morning. It's infinite, and it comes from an, our infinite God. He says it's fresh every morning, and, and here we have Jeremiah focusing on that. He, uh, Psalm 86 and verse 15, But thou, O Lord, art full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. The greatest picture of this is the cross. Do you realize God's mercy, that loyal love and his truth that demands our judgment, was perfectly satisfied at the cross? Perfectly satisfied. I, I couldn't bring those two together. Psalms talks about mercy and truth kissing one another, coming together. Uh, we couldn't do that, but Jesus could, and he did. And he, he perfectly met the demands of both at the cross and proved it by his resurrection, which we celebrate uh, much this month. He proved it. And friends, today, if, you, if you're wondering, how can I be free from this? How can I get beyond this? Thank the Lord that God made a way through his son, Jesus Christ. Not only to be forgiven of that sin, but be set free from that sin so that we don't live in bondage to it anymore. Read Romans 6. We aren't to, uh, to be giving our members as, as, as members to unrighteousness, but we are to live unto God. We're to live unto him. And God enables that. Jeremiah contemplated God's mercy, contemplated God's sufficiency. Look in verse number 24. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. What does your soul say about God? What does your heart say about God? In the quiet moments of your life, what do you say about God? Well, he never gives me what I want. I haven't found him to be. What does your soul say about God? Here Jeremiah is saying, you know what, when I think about all this, even in the midst of the chastening upon God's people that I feel the, the brunt of, or I feel the weight of, I feel the effects of, Jeremiah was able to say, the Lord is my portion. The Lord's my allotment. The Lord's everything that I need. The Lord is, is if I had nothing else, the Lord would be enough. What does your soul say about the Lord? What does your mind say? rehearsing about the Lord. The Lord is everything that I need. My wife's favorite verse is Psalm 73 and verse 26. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Now, some of you who are mature in life, you might uh, look at this verse, my flesh and my heart faileth, and you say, yep, it's sure failing. It's breaking down. But do you remember this, that the Lord is your portion forever? Even when your body begins to break down, the Lord is your portion. When your mind begins to break down, the Lord is your portion. He's enough, isn't he? Amen? Mm. Do you know that chorus, He's All I Need? He's all I need. If you know it, sing it. He's all I need. Jesus is all I need. He's all I need. He is all I need. Jesus is all I need. You know, that's what Jeremiah was saying. It's all I need. I don't need that gadget. I don't even need to get out of the chastening or the effects of the chastening to be able to say that he's my portion. Sometimes we say, well, once I get on the other side of this, I'll praise the Lord. No, you can praise him right now, knowing that he is working out something. He has you where you are for a reason. And again, I just think back into my own, my own life and into the times where God had me in a point where I felt the effects of my disobedience to him and he says, I have you where I need you. I'm teaching you something right here. 
I'm teaching you a lesson that will go with you for the rest of your life. And so Jeremiah says, therefore will I hope in him. Here's a deliberate choice on Jeremiah's part. Based on the character of God, therefore will I hope in him. I'm going to put my expectation in him. I'm going to trust in him because he is my portion, because he is full of mercy. Therefore will I hope in him. Do you have hope in the Lord today? Do you have hope in him? Is your, your trust in him? Psalm 137, it says, Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption. Mm. Let Israel hope, but let you hope. It's not always hope in the sunshine. It's not always about hope in the, the good times and everything's going well. There's sometimes where we need to find hope even in the midst of facing time in the woodshed with God. Notice there's a confidence here. Verse number 25. The Lord is. The Lord is. Not will be, maybe, might be, but the Lord is. What is the Lord? Well, he's good. He's good. Notice there's a confidence that that Jeremiah expresses in the goodness of God. And this goodness is towards those who hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him. That word wait there is, is really the word hope. It means hope. The, the expectation is in someone, especially in regards to the future. So uh, Jeremiah is saying, uh, the Lord is good to those that, that look to God about the future. They're not worried about what's going to happen. They're they know that they are trusting in a God that never changes. By the way, could I just sidebar for a second? That's the spirit that we need to have in our, in our nation today. We have gotten a great hopelessness in our nation today. And even as God's people, we see what is going on around us, the wickedness, the sin that just seems to be mounting ever, ever so much, the deceit, just the, the lack of common sense. And if we get focused on that, Friends, there will be a hopelessness that comes to your soul, but we need to have a hope. It is the Lord is good to them that hope in the Lord. Not just in the midst of chastening, but even in the midst of, midst of all this. And by the way, our, our nation, it's hard for any person walking with the Lord not to look at our nation and say that we're not under the chastening hand of God. One of the, one of the, one of the indications of a nation being chastened by God is it being given over to its sin, which we are, even to the lack of common sense, but also to be ruled by children. We are being ruled by children. We are being ruled by those who, who do not have foresight. That's not a slap. That's not partisan. That is simply the reality. We, we are being ruled by those we, we look at and say, what in the world are you thinking? This is not going to end well. And every time I, I hear a story... I just am reminded that God has brought some judgment. It does not mean that we cannot have hope for our nation. We not, should not pray for revival. And we should not seek to win souls. But it is this, that we are in the midst of this. And just like Jeremiah, we can have hope in the midst. Lord is good to them that hope in him. Where's your hope today? Is it in this next election? We should do everything we, we can. You should vote this month. You should. I, I, I believe that is your, your citizen uh, your, your duty before God, he's given you that opportunity, great. But my hope can't be in that vote. We just hope it gets counted. <laughs> right? But my hope can't be there, right? My hope has to be in the Lord. And he says the Lord is good. He shows his mercy to those that, that hope in him. Where is your hope today? If you could write down as you walked in here today, where is your hope? Is it in some person? Is it in a relationship? Is it in that meeting that you're going to have with your boss this week? Is it in getting free from where you are right now? Is it in just getting to the other side of the consequence? Is it in just finding a place where the, the noise of, of, of the turbulence of sin just kind of stops? Is, is your hope in that or is your hope in the Lord. Listen, when our hope is in the Lord, we'll wake up every single day and just say, Lord, all right, today's your day. I don't know what's going to happen today. I don't know what the world's going to do, but I know this. I'm going to walk with you today. I'm going to stay close to your word today. I'm going to pray uh, and talk to you today, and I'm going to be listening to your Holy Spirit's prompting this today. I'm going to be listening for your still small voice. My hope's in you. My hope's in you. So he says, well, 
I have confidence in this. The Lord is good. Not might be. He is good. Do you have that confidence? He is good. He is good. Mm. He is good all the time. But he also goes on to say, it is a good thing that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. If you were to come into my office, I have a whiteboard that I thought I would use. And so I put one of these glass whiteboards, when I became pastor here, put that up on the, the office wall, and it's gotten used very seldomly. But here's what I do. I put a verse on it, and I've had a verse on it for the past probably three years, and it's this verse. It stood out to me. I knew that when we had this theme that it was going to be a verse that I want to, to just communicate again here today. It is a good thing. It is good that a man means Josiah. It's a good thing that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. There's times we're in the midst of something and we say, how in the world am I going to get out of this? There's times I've been in my office and how in the world we didn't get through this? How in the world? And I look up and see that verse. It's good for me to be here. Didn't say it's pleasant, but it's good. It's good. Maybe you need to tell the Lord, it's, it's okay, it's, it's good that you've allowed me to be here. It's good that I've felt the chastening hand. It's good that I've felt the consequence. It's good that I've felt the humility. It's good for me to be here. It is good that a man should hope, set his expectations, set his trust, his dependence, and I love this, the word quietly wait to just be still. To just be still. Sometimes we aren't still before the Lord. Even when we sit still, our minds are racing. But the idea is that we would be still before the Lord. And what do we do in that stillness? Seek Him. You know the purpose of God when He brings just on, on chastisement into our life is to get you and I to seek Him again. To seek His face, to seek His word, to seek Him in prayer, to, to seek to be with His people, and to, to seek to serve Him. It's to seek Him again. And whatever causes me to seek the Lord is ultimately for my good. Sometimes what causes me to seek the Lord is not pleasant. Sometimes it's turbulent times in the lives of people around me, in my own life. But it is good that I would be there and would hope and quietly wait you be still before him what does the bible say to us psalm 46 and verse 10 be still and know that i am god and i guarantee that many of you could say this god has had to bring me into places where he just got my attention where i could just be still before him so i'd seek him again stop seeking the pleasures of this world stop seeking after a new thing stop seeking after a position or comparing yourselves among yourselves Stop doing that, just him and you, him and you. And Jeremiah says this. I want you to turn over to Jeremiah 29, verse number 11. You know some of these verses, but God had allowed his people to be taken out of their homeland for these 70 years in captivity. I can't imagine being ushered out of my homeland. I can't imagine being taken by force to another, to another, another place and kept there. But they were. And God had made it clear, this isn't happening just because this is the state of world affairs. This is happening because I've allowed it to happen because you sinned against me. And you would not repent. You would not turn to me. You would not seek me. So I had to bring you into a place where I could get your attention. Jeremiah 29, verse number 10. Are you there? For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you in causing you to return to this place. I like the sound of that. That God, through his preacher, said there's coming an end to the, to the chastening. There's, there's going to be a day where it's going to be over. Growing up, I'd like to know, Dad, how many, how many swats are you going to give with that belt? Like, you want to know, when's this thing coming to an end? God said, when this is coming in, after 70 years, it's going to come to an end. Verse 11 for I know the thoughts that I, God, think towards you, Israel, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. 
Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. Mm, we have a conversation, communion. And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all of your heart. God's goal. Verse 14, and I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord, and I will bring you again into the, this, into the place whence I cause you to be carried away captive. What's God saying? When I finally got your attention and you started to seek me again, I'd bring you back. I don't know where you are in your journey with the Lord, but friends, I know this. If God's bringing chastening into your life, the only hope is in the response of seeking him. As long as we resist him, I, I've seen it in many different ways, and I've practiced it in my own life. Well, that's not exactly what the Bible says, even though the Holy Spirit is clearly saying that's what the Bible says. Well, I don't like that perspective. We can justify sin all day long. We become lawyers trying to wiggle out of God saying, you've sinned. But as long as we do that, there's no hope. There's no hope to be had. But the hope in the midst of lamentation is this, when I turn and seek the Lord. When I seek him again. That's his purpose. And so here's what my, my prayer, my goal is for this morning. I don't know where you are or who you'll be helping this week. But the reality is, each one of us need to seek the Lord. We need to seek the Lord. And, and if we're facing the, the chastening hand of God, it is time to seek the Lord. It's time to turn back to him. It's time to say, Lord, what are you trying to get across to me? It is time for you to seek the Lord. As these were penned to the nation of Israel, and as Jeremiah preached, and a little bit later on, as we come to the end of the book of Daniel, and we find that, that there was this man named Cyrus, and in the opening of Ezra, we find that Cyrus says, hey, I want to make a decree. The God of heaven said to send you all back and to, to build his temple where you can worship and seek him again. You know, only 43,000 people went back. You all want to go back? Want to go back? Go on. Go back to your homeland. God's saying it's time. You know, some of the people were very happy to stay there in Babylon while the temple was being built back in Jerusalem. You know, the scary thing is, is that some people are pretty happy in their captivity. And friends, you will be brought to greater points of hopelessness over and over as long as you're happy in your captivity. But when you seek the Lord, yes, I want to go back. Yes, I want to build the tent. I want to see it built. Yes, I want to uh, be there again where the, the songs of Zion are sung. Yes, I want to seek the Lord again. There's hope. There's hope. And in the midst of lamentation, God offers hope through his prophet Jeremiah. And this is something that we should meditate on. Would you bow with me in prayer? Listen to this verse as you just pause before the Lord. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, after, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. No chastening is, is joyous, but it is good and it is intended to bring peaceable fruits of righteousness. Today, will you listen to the Lord? I don't know where you are in your walk with the Lord and how this message exactly speaks to your heart, but I know it's something that we should consider. It's in Scripture. We should consider. We should pause. We should take it seriously. Could I ask you, just between you and the Lord, are you in bondage to some sin? You in captivity? You addicted? Do you have a besetting sin? Do you have a habitual sin that God's been after you about? Do you find your, yourself in despair and hopelessness? Because you're not just submitting to God. There's no way out. There's, you tried, there's no way out. You're just there. You're in captivity. God's calling you to seek him today. You've become hopeless because you've not acknowledged your sin to God. Today, acknowledge your sin to God. Like, like David did. I've sinned against you and against thee and thee only have I sinned. 
Will you begin to seek God again, his word, his direction, his will, like Jeremiah did? I'm going to seek you. You said you're good to those that seek you. So today, the invitation is simply this. Will you seek the Lord? Will you seek the Lord? How many would say God, uh, God has spoken specifically to my heart, Pastor? He has spoken to me specifically to, to my heart. He's given me some next steps. And I'd like to just say before the Lord, He has done that. He has spoken to my heart specifically. I'm listening to Him. My desire is to seek Him. You say with an upraised hand, God has spoken to my heart. Amen. Amen. Others? Let's stand to our feet. Father, I pray that you would just guide your people. I'm amazed at how tender and loving you are in helping us through these times of difficulty, helping us to be right with you. Lord, I pray that you would help your people right now. You know exactly what they need. You know what I need. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To learn more about Grace Baptist or how to have eternal life, visit gracekettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.